Welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Folks, we got a money show today. And it's not going to be what you expect a money show to be, but you're going to learn a lot. And I encourage everyone, and I mean everyone, to go out and get uh, this book. It's called The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World by Kristen Regusen. And it's a, a story a story that teaches finance along the way. You don't have to have a financial degree. You don't have to even understand money. You're going to be able to glean what she's talking about, but more importantly, put it to use. So I recommend this to everybody. You guys know, I don't say this is a book as a keeper on my shelf very often, but this one is definitely a keeper. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, that's MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. And guys, if you like the podcast, you know, uh, subscribe, give me some stars, help a girl out. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My guest today, Kristen Raggison, is the best-selling author of The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of a New Abundant World. Um, she's a wealth management consultant of 30 years with Merrill Lynch, and now she's with Raymond James. She's a certified digital currency professional. Um, she has a master's degree from Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. She has certificates in fintech from MIT and money and society from the University of Cumbria in London. She has traveled throughout the world. Her journeys Um, include climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, hiking uh, in the Sahara Desert, and studying at the spiritual school in the foothills of southern India. And you can check her out on her website, and that is theendofscarcity.com or kristenragusen.com, and that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-R-A-G-U-S-I-N.com. And I'll ask her if I uh, said that right, right now. Welcome, Kristen. 
Oh, thank you so much, Monique. It's so nice to be here with you. Yes, Agassin, that's the right way. Uh, okay, because I meant to ask you beforehand and I didn't. I was like, oh, uh-oh, but <laughs> it is the way it is. Um, this wonderful book, um, The End of Scarcity, this is truly a prime time to um, have this book come out because so many, especially in government here and um, in other parts of the world, they want to make us believe that we're on the brink of disaster, we're completely falling apart, and there's nothing that can be done. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. We're under, we're sort of, I think, in the middle of the birth canal. And mm -hmm. um, definitely we could be getting big contractions of fear and that may get worse. But the good news is it is the illusion of scarcity for sure. Okay, so what do you mean by the illusion of scarcity? Because there's so many people, um, even some of the folks that listen to this podcast are like, okay, I don't have any money. I lost my job. I got five miles to feed. I can't, I can't, I can't. And I think sometimes that I can't energy holds us back, but talk to us about that. It really does. You know, everything is real. So the scarcity on one level is real, especially when we're trapped in that, when, when life is closing in. And yet at the same time, all other possibilities exist at the same time. So just like we're tuning in, um, once we are able to get over that hump of in that acute fear where the survivor is really turned on and the anxiety is high, because the, the brain can start to shift at that point. We mm -hmm. get stuck in that lower loop of the reptilian brain. Mm -hmm. And so all the beautiful inspiration that's calling us can't be accessed. And at the same point in time, once we get to relax a little bit, take a breath, um, it's the whole other world is absolutely waiting for us. And um, the nature of the planet, um, even just at its core, is an abundant planet. It is an abundant world. But I like to start to say with our passion and our imagination is the most abundant resource that we have that can't be turned off. Okay. Um, you say that money is a social agreement that we make up. How is that? Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I sort of think, you know, when we, we start running, we hit earth, we start running around, we look, we see the stars, we see the moon, we see the sun, we feel gravity and we see money. So we just assume money is part of the context. It's something that we don't question. We just know that we need to figure out how to earn it, how we're going to spend it, maybe invest it. And that's about it. And yet money is a totally different concept um, it's not a law of the universe. It's a tool that we create in society based on a few assumptions. The first one is that it's better to live together, that we live in communities and we live with other people because life is richer and it makes it worth living. And then we decided, well, gosh, we are going to develop a technology that will assist us in all that we create and exchange with one another. And that's where money came in, to be a tool, to be this playful, wonderful thing to assist us. That's, that's what its original intention was. Oh, okay. So if it's our original intention to have this tool to have more access to have a more positive life, how did we get to the point that we're at today where it just seems like it, it's for some people, it's very attainable. And for some people, it's not attainable at all in their minds. And, you know, a lot of people are in the middle. So how did we get to, to this place of such disparity? 
Absolutely. You know, and the disparity could definitely get worse in the process of it getting better. Um, but not to lose heart because it is just this point that this tool of technology um, has to be designed properly. So just like we'll use the computer or the phone or the radio or any of these mediums, these mediums of technology to assist us in communicating with one another, um, is the phone a good technology? Is the computer a good technology? Is it effective? Is our money an effective technology the way it's designed to assist us in the exchanges with one another? Now, today, no, the answer is absolutely not. Our money is designed in such a way that it does produce the scarcity and or at least the illusion of scarcity. Um, and, you know, money is a technology that has been redesigned many, many times in history. And uh, even in the history of the United States, eight times we have changed the way the dollar is created and comes into society. When the money is designed correctly, communities thrive. We have renaissance period. Life really is in that abundant flow and works for everyone who wants to contribute. And most people want to contribute. It's just often they feel unable to sort of get to the table. Um, so the magic ticket is number one saying, whoa, money is something we design. And, you know, and then now what are the rules that it has to meet? And have we done it correctly? So this whole world is beginning to open up for us right now. Okay. So in effect, we don't have to, uh, money doesn't have to be scarce in order to have value. Right. I think, and this, this, I have to say, I think is one of the biggest lies or non-truths or half-truths out there. And it's so impactful. Um, one of the first things that started me on the journey of writing the end of scarcity, uh, I was finishing a master's uh, degree and I was writing, uh, you know, on economics, something, and I opened an old textbook and the first tenet was money has to be scarce to have value. And I thought, oh boy, are we in trouble? This goes against who we are as human beings. It goes against nature. Every time a baby is born, that community is richer because a new expression, unique expression of the divine has come to, to, to be with us. Mm -hmm. And so how is it that money, which represents all of our con contributive, all of our productivity, how does it have to be scarce to have value? Now, when I say that to a lot of people, they say in shock, well, what do you mean? It should be unlimited because the mind often produces this sort of dualistic thinking. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, 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 not at all. It shouldn't be scarce to have value and it certainly shouldn't be unlimited, but it should be flexible. And um, so the money in circulation should, should be more or less constantly changing, representing our productive capacity and our so real supply and demand with one another. Mm -hmm. um, many, many people have known this in history. It's, it's the main reason why the colonists fled England when they came to America. They were all in debt. There was really no hope in their scarcity-based money system. And so they started a proper new money system that was going to allow the contributive abundance and create a framework for humanity, a blueprint. Okay. Well, what about um, precious metals, gold, silver, platinum? I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, let's stock up on these and should I get the gold bricks or put it in jewelry or whatever? So talk to us about that. 
Yeah, it's. I think this is really a fascinating concept because you hear this a lot, especially the more um, the more uncomfortable or the more sort of demolition that we see in our society, and we worry about uh, using the dollar as a store of value mm-hmm. that gold and metal seem like a better idea. And you know, I would say today the problem with it is that gold has never worked um, it, because gold is your core scarcity money. And um, my father used to always say to me, those who have the gold make the golden rules. And the problem with gold is that there are enough people with extra wealth who can easily, quickly buy up all the gold that's on the market. Uh So if you were to go to a gold-based money system, um, it would solidify oligarchy. It would bring back real peasantry and serfdomhood. Um, It would make it very obvious. And, um, And then you know, any kinds of rules could immediately be changed. And certainly people wanting to start businesses or do different things would not have access to credit. The other thing that we have seen in history is that if the dollar was ever 100% backed by gold, that quantity of gold circulating is too small for the imagination and productivity of the people. And also sadly for the drive for war that we've experienced. So the gold continues to be just diluted. And Mm -hmm. if you start with it being 100 backed, it's soon 50 backed, 25, 10 backed. And then, of course, you run into the mechanics. You can't prove if it's really gold. Um, The sophistication of our financial systems, people cannot carry gold around. It's, you know, ancient people knew it wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. Right. So it isn't operationally a real thing. It's it's something that makes people feel a little bit better during panic times. Um, but it's not it, it, it bumps up against this primary tenant. Money should not be scarce to have be have value. And so when you run into things like Bitcoin or gold, which are have value because they're perceived to be scarce, um, they may be a store of value, but they're absolutely not money. Okay, well, you brought it up. Um, not well at the time of this recording, the FTX collapse was maybe like two weeks ago. Um, I have bought three books on Bitcoin, read them cover to cover twice. Don't understand a thing. So, what is this type of um, currency and? How does it have any value at all? I, I, you know, I can't wrap my mind around it. And perhaps you can help me and some of the listeners because I just don't get it. Well, Bitcoin, in theory, Bitcoin could be a really wonderful thing. My big argument is that it's not money. Now, Bitcoin is simply digital gold. That's really the best way to describe it. There will only be 21 million Bitcoins ever in existence. And by 2040, uh, we will have all of the Bitcoins that will ever be in circulation. Uh, so we're, we're, we're close. It sort of slows down as we get to the end. The issue is that, and people can own little pieces of those 21 million, but again, it's not enough of a money for a planet that's thriving for all types of people who want to increase their standard of living to be as a money. So uh, Bitcoin is digital, and really it's just a series of complicated string of numbers and um, letters 
which like a safe deposit box in the bank, um, you have your own private key and then there's a public key. And by keeping your private key private, you can go to the bank, you can go into your Bitcoin account and access your Bitcoin or where you're storing your value. Uh -huh. And then you, you can you can use it as money, except the price is extremely volatile. This is one of the things that also does not make it money that way. Uh -huh. And um, it makes it more of a speculative, speculative investment or speculative gamble right now. Uh -huh. So the reason why it works so well is that the accounting book, if I pass a Bitcoin to you and you pass one to your son and he passes it to my sister back to her husband, there's a public accounting book called the ledger, the blockchain chain ledger that shows pseudonymously. So it just has your public key where that Bitcoin has been um, how how the flow of the transactions have been. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually very powerful that we have a public accounting book that's transparent. Here's the power of Bitcoin or quote, quote unquote, cryptocurrency is the blockchain. This allows peer to peer or person to person to exchange money or value with one another without an administrator, without a bank, without a government, without, a, without really a regulator to some degree. Mm -hmm. And um, so the value is in the blockchain. But again, Bitcoin as a money, it's just digital gold. And so it, again, may serve some point of a safety, a storage of value. But if if it goes truly mainstream, as it has in El Salvador, you would have the wealthiest people buy up all the Bitcoin and the people who are using it as money, if they needed to buy a coffee or mm -hmm. their rent, soon they would have no Bitcoin. Okay, um, so it's just like the gold then, if someone bought all the gold up, if they buy all the Bitcoin, the same scenario where you have the wealthy and then the peasants and nothing right. in between. That's right. And then you and you get the strengthening of oligarchies through this. Now, uh -huh. Bitcoin as one source of money, gold as one source of money. When you start to get into a, a multi-sphere of what we can prove as legitimate currencies, then the world starts to change. Then you start getting freedom and, and social mobility and investment into beautiful ideas. But when you have one currency and um, th then you automatically get oligarchies, fascism, all the all the bad stuff in the world. Hmm. OK, um, you brought up regulation. I was surprised when I read in your book that the FDIC is only funded 5%. I mean, everybody says, oh, OK, well, my money's protected to 250. I just put 250 here, 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 here. That's uh, 250,000. And um, I'll be fine. But based on what I read in your book, that's a big no, no. You know, I think I, I still would bet operationally it's fine. The only problem with that is, is that is still someone deciding to make it fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, is, it is shocking to, to know that the FDIC is not funded, but the FDIC is really backed by the faith in the country, the belief that the country is working, and that they will make good, the people in power will make good on their promises. Um, so it's not overly, uh, it, it doesn't really give you a warm and fuzzy feeling when a lot of dislocation and things are sort of crumbling and we're in this period of destruction and rebirth. Mm -hmm. um, so 
It is. It's 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 just, you know, I, I even in the book, I point to the Federal Reserve as being the wizard behind the curtain. Um, they we believe they can do a lot more to control the money supply than they really can. And um, but it's that belief in the Federal Reserve, what makes it work. If people start losing their belief in it, um, a lot of our, our stronghold and promises evaporate pretty quickly. Okay, but if you look at the current um, political climate in the United States, there's, and I'm not taking sides here, I'm just putting viewpoints out. There's one viewpoint of, you know, let me control everything and then I'll dole it down to everybody else. And there's another viewpoint trying to come from a, a sense of equity. If the powers that be are the ones that, you know, they want to control everything and they'll just dole out to you what they feel you should have, wouldn't the country basically collapse over time? It, it, it goes to the same point through either narrative, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is really what's kind of fascinating because you can take either side or even close, I would say probably 30% on, if, if we looked at the political spectrum, like a line, uh -huh. um, and you make that line a circle, the two ends of the line become on the same point at the uh -huh. circle, right? Uh -huh. And so um, this is even fascinating. I, um, I, you know, I, I've had Ellen Brown, who started the public banking movement, is a good friend of mine, and um, she started really getting behind universal basic income. And I said, "Wow, this is really dangerous because again, you're moving to the same type of centralization that people on the other side, like libertarians, maybe like Peter Schiff, who's out there promoting gold, 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 you end up at the same place." Uh -huh. Either saying, listen, let's have somebody control our systems, whether it is um, a series of different type of payments that are coming to people. And people have to remember that even if we are in favor at the moment with whoever is sending payments, that can easily change. Uh -huh. And somebody could come in and say, no, 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 you have to stand on your head on Wednesdays and wear a purple and orange striped zigzag sweater before you get your payment. Uh -huh. And um, and this is sort of how everything melds sadly into um, old school kings and queens hierarchies. We really have not fully been freed from that system yet. And then likewise, when you work with a money system that has not been designed properly and you say, no, 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 we're going to not have any safety nets. We're going to let things fail. We're going to let the market determine everything. Again, you get to oligarchy because it is the dollar. It is the money. It is the gas that runs the car that has to be designed properly. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually the linchpin. And this is sort of what I love about the book. Um, it's disheartening to some people at the beginning because I, I say very clearly, no political solution can save, can solve our problems of scarcity and not enoughness. And we have a lot invested in that. Uh -huh. And, you know, no economic theory, no new theory, universal basic income, reduction of taxes, um, you know, or social issues. No, no solution that comes forward can actually meet the solution that we're looking for. But the problem is we don't know that there's somewhere else to look. And the real problem is that the money is designed incorrectly. It is actually, we we don't have money today, which is, was, which is sort of another fascinating kind of shocking point. But when we create money out of borrower's debt, we're actually using people's mortgages, their college debt, their hospital debt, temporarily as our money. Uh -huh. And 
when this is done, the, that, that form of currency or dollar is what produces the illusion of scarcity we're caught in. And it also breaks down society. It makes us fight politically and economically and socially. And as we begin to splinter and fra fracture, that reptilian brain gets kicked in and we can't catch the bigger picture that is just waiting for us to get a whiff of. Okay. And the book, you say money and wealth are not the same. What do you mean by that? Because most people think if you're wealthy, you got tons of money or vice versa. You know, I really think this is almost, I don't know if this is the unlocking concept that, that really brings us to this whole new world that's waiting for us. Money and wealth are totally separate. They're totally separate. And often when I say that people say, well, then what the heck is wealth if it's not money? And um, usually I say it is everything you can buy with money. So all of our resources, everything that's in a store, all the work and, and goods and services we produce for one another, that's wealth. Uh -huh. But more importantly, wealth is who we are. It is the, the beautiful inspirations that we have or that come through us on and off throughout the day. It's the passion that each person has a passion. And though still most people can't articulate their passion or even really commune with it enough, there is a unique gift in each human being. And um, it really is unstoppable because our whole lives, it's calling to us. And this is the basis of wealth. Um, so it can't be separated from our beings. Human beings are wealthy by their nature. And um, so it, be, it begins here. And when we tune into our passions and our beauty of how we want to contribute to one another, because we are truly happy and fulfilled when we're contributing to the world in some way, some beautiful way that lifts others up. And mm -hmm. then, you know, then actually fulfillment and the sense of being alive, because then we can see we really are connected to one another activates. This is really the basis of wealth. And money, money's still a wonderful thing, even though today it's been contorted. It mm -hmm. is just really, a, it's, it's almost like sometimes I look at it like a green goddess waiting to say, playfully saying, how can I serve you today? How, what is it that you want to create in society? And how can I be a better tool of exchange? So um, money is merely a technology. It's, it's supposed to be very neutral. It's not supposed to have any intrinsic value like gold or other things. Um, it is the equal sign in the, in the equation. And um, the question is, did we build the computer properly? Is the phone built well? And we're still at the level of consciousness where collectively we need to kind of keep score on how we're contributing and what we're withdrawing. But mm -hmm. when keep that tally when we make that tally system you know that that scoreboard properly it'll up level consciousness because anyone who wants to contribute in a way that there's true demand for um boy they they will get funded right away um so okay well thank you um and i truly uh, agree 100% with everything that you're saying but let me ask this. I want to talk about the C word, and that's credit. Um, a lot of people want it. Some people abuse it. A lot of people are talking about credit scores. I mean, if you want to rent a house, I think you have to have a 600 minimum, or so, depending on where you live, 850 or 900 is supposed to be really good. So what about credit? 
how much should you have? Is it really a good thing to have? And where would you, if you were going by gauges of scores, where would you want your score to truly be? You know, in this existing paradigm where we are, credit is important, right? And um, and and even just that sense of integrity in terms of paying bills on time as is possible, um, looking to kind of get through the system so that one has a solid ground underneath so that higher inspiration also can come. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the, the real problem is that money was never supposed to be created as mortgage debt. And so I think this is, to, to back up, this is probably the best way to answer this question, is that today, for when money comes into existence, it's only when people go to a bank and get a loan, it can be a college loan, hospital loan, you know, a house loan, and credit cards as well. But there's no money in the bank that, that the bank is keeping. The, the, the bank creates it on the spot. And it's not really made out of the thin air. It represents our ability to go out there and earn it and fish it back for the bank. Mm -hmm. But the problem with this is, is that means that mortgages, it lets housing go up on an unlimited number. Uh, Down payments can be zero. They can be 10%. In the 70s, they used to be 40%, which kept Mm -hmm. housing prices lower right? Uh And and college debt, there was never supposed to be college debt. And in the 70s, you know, tuition was basically free, or it was very inexpensive relative to salary, because there were no loans available. And it's the loans being available that drive the housing prices higher and higher and higher, because someone will borrow more and more and more if they think they can sell the price for higher. So we get into the self-defeating, you know, um, cannibalistic process by this, which in turn makes rent higher. And so um, if money was not created as borrower's debt, a home would be a home. It wouldn't be looked at as an investment or uh-huh. a thing. Mm-hmm. College would be an investment. It wouldn't be something that's turning into indentured servitude. And then a, a sense of further um, fracturing of society of whether people paid for it. And then they're angry that other people are having their debts way, wiped out. Other people need their debt wiped out. This whole really other conundrum. So the big problem is when you create money out of mortgage debt, When people go to pay their monthly mortgage or when they pay their debt back, not only is that portion of the debt extinguished, but the money is also extinguished. Okay. So we have less money in society every time somebody pays a debt. And it's not better if they don't pay a debt because the whole society collapses and the, the banking system collapses. But at the same point in time, this shows you why we're on the hamster wheel, having to borrow, having to borrow, and all of the things in the American dream, having a home, having a college education, having a job that you find fulfilling, it begins to break down. Mm-hmm. And, and then we become hypersensitive about our credit rating, because when you create money as debt, when you create money out of out of consumer debt, rather than it coming into existence, representing our productive value, you now reduce people and citizens of a country to consumers of the debt machine. And they are hypersensitive to getting any job, even if it kills their soul, um, to over-consuming to kind of, you know, from all the heavy-duty marketing and to even feel a little bit better about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then to be on this repay cycle we have been parasited out completely by a money that's misdesigned. 
Wow. I mean, when you put it in those terms, it's like, boy, have we been taken advantage of and asleep at the wheel. <laughs> um, seems like we're just not where we, you know, really should be in our system. Um, you are the cryptocurrency queen. You've studied a lot on it. So say someone, you know, and you did explain, you know, it very well. So say someone wants to get into cryptocurrency, what would be their first step as you buy your little piece of that, what, 20 million that's out there, 21 million? 21 million in, in, by 2040. The beauty is, I mean, you know, it's not financial advice or any of those kinds of things, but um, how you come to learn something is by having firsthand experience. And so anybody who wants to speculate or, or they have money that they're absolutely willing to lose, they could go to any exchange or later this year, I think Fidelity is even going to do Bitcoin for retail customers. So people, which is probably a really wonderful thing because they'll have someone to help them. They won't be doing it on their own. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but definitely still disclaimer, no financial advice. And um, it would be money that someone would be absolutely willing to lose. But the beauty about experiencing um, cryptocurrencies or whether partaking in them or just watching them on a website like coinmarketcap.com or even bitcoin.com, these kinds of things, you start to learn more about it. And what was so breakthrough, what's so important about the cryptocurrency revolution is it changes the mindset that we see, wait a minute, uh, uh, not, not just governments can create legitimate forms of money. Now, no one's looking to get rid of the national currency or the dollar or any of these kinds of things. But what Bitcoin really did is say, wow, peers to peer who really care about the community can start to issue a currency that has validity. And this is what I will say when you go back in history and certainly monetary history. And that's why the end of scarcity is full of fun and fascinating monetary history because it is our real history. It's the backstory of every story. You will find that every time society thrived, there was a democratization of the legitimate creation of money. Mm. And so I could issue Kristen dollars. Maybe I could get you to take a few, but you certainly would not put your life savings into them, nor would I want you to. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes money uh, legitimate is people accepting them. And then it has to follow a really um, easy formula. I have the formula in the book, but when money follows this formula, it's done correctly. And every time society thrived in the recorded history that we knew, they were doing money correctly. And so now blockchain is affording us this unbelievable opportunity that has never been before humanity. Um, I really do believe that all of our ancestors are sitting on the sidelines cheering us on because even as money was done correctly, um, for example, the, um, the founding fathers, the colonists did it correctly. And um, France and England didn't like it. You know, the hierarchical structures there were mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, they were losing their, their control. So when the Revolutionary War came, it absolutely came about the money, not about freedom of religion. And when the French and the England came with their tall ships, they had big printing presses on those ships, and they just wanted to disrupt this beautiful, proper quantity of money that needed to be in, in, uh, in circulation. 
And even though, you know, the we won the American Revolution, we only kept our banking system until about 1812. Uh-huh. And so since then, we've been on the old, we've been on variations of a scarcity-based old system. Wow. And, right. So this, <laughs> this is what's really phenomenal is no civilization before has had technology coming out of the box, getting some sort of mass consciousness adoption and the ancient wisdom, the simple wisdom of how to do money correctly, coming right to this nexus point where we are going to see phenomenal change. Yes, we are. Now, again, your book, The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World. Why or what sparked you to write it in story form, story fashion. I mean, you sit down, folks, and you read the book. It's like reading a novel, um, but she's teaching at the same time. But the teaching is put in in such lay terms, everyday common terms, that you don't even realize that you're learning until you're like, oh, ding, ding, ding. And the light comes on. It's like, oh, okay, I can use that. That's what she's teaching. So how did you come to that to share all of your insight with people? Thank you. That's so wonderful. You know, I wrote it sort of straightforward and kind of in a boring format years before. And I really wrote it to begin with for myself so that I had learned, I I had relearned, you know, because I, even as a little girl, I had to earn my allowance explaining to my father at five years old, six years old, how the markets worked. You know, this this is what kind of, you know, a neat, I had a really fascinating father and he wanted to make sure his little girls were prepared in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, so I felt like I understood money. And then, you know, when I was even a few months after graduating college, I went right to work um, at Merrill Lynch, where, you know, I've been in the financial world my whole life. So I thought, surely I understood it. And when I saw the collapse coming of 2008, I was lucky to see it ahead of time. But I was so disheartened, because I could see something was wrong in my worldview. Uh, when I saw everything dissolve, the way it did. And um, I was determined to find out what I was missing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's when I discovered we don't have money. Today, in the past, we have, we're using borrower's debt, and then how this destroys a society and destroys the American dream. So I was heartbroken. I think I was depressed for at least nine months. I was truly sad. Hmm. And then I decided, you know what, there has to be a solution. So I actually went on the journey that's in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I did everything mm-hmm. that's in the, in the book. I just did it over a much longer period of time. It took me seven years. And um, it dawned on me one morning after I'd gotten some advice from a friend uh, that I should tell this as my story, that I could write this in such a way like the Da Vinci Code or an adventure Mm -hmm. story that would really be fascinating to people and give them because money should be fascinating and it should be easy to understand. It should be written in terms of one plus one equals two because money is a simple technology to help us exchange our beautiful, developing, expressive gifts with one another. And therefore, if it's complicated, I haven't done a good job. And if we don't, if we don't understand money, then something is not, we're missing some truth in it. Mm-hmm. And this is when all of a sudden I even started getting these visions 
of how to piece the book together. And I did create a composite character uh, who comes with me on this adventure. And he represents all the people I met over the seven years, but to act as the reader, to ask the questions that the reader will have and also not know to have yet. And then it allows for a repetition to come, which is absolutely needed because mm -hmm. we've indoctrinated and conditioned and we're like fish in the water. We swim with money without questioning it. So it's still a process to say, oh, 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 oh. And, um, you know, our generation is needing this information more than any, any period of time now because the money systems are getting ready to change in a big way. And a hundred years ago, the knowledge that's in the book was common knowledge. And it's been edited out of books. It's been made not fun. And um, so, so this is our opportunity. And I pray that this goes wide and far because we have such a beautiful future so easily to create once we get the basic education that our great-grandparents, our grandparents, their parents knew. Okay, so if we read your book, The End of Scarcity, would that help us with go navigating this current financial situation that we're going through right now? I mean, of I course, we have to be prudent, you know, so you're not telling them to go get the book and read it and your problems are over. But would that help us? I think it really will. You know, some of the surprising feedback that I've gotten from the book is a remarkable number of people have gotten freed of the stress of money, the guilt around money, the shame around money, um, feeling all these kind of low self-esteem qualities that they're not enough uh, because they are struggling with money. And then it, it gives you the whole picture, how you see everyone is truly being used. We're being used for the debt machine. And, um, and it was meant to be the opposite way. We were Money was meant to be in service to us. And so this is a fundamental amount of stress that people, uh, what I'm hearing is people get freed from this. And many people have even said to me that abundance starts to flow into their lives. And I think because their relationship with money changes. So and that's mindset changes, don't you think? Mindset changes. You actually can see a pathway instead of just saying, oh, think positive thoughts or get inspired some, some, by something. You see a blueprint, how communities can begin this. You see evidence, how these new properly mated systems are happening already. And you will be so much more educated in the next year or two, how these massive changes come and you will know sort of what to get behind and, and what's really for the freedom of humanity and what is for more control and oligarchy. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, we, we can have a lot of criticism for the powers that be, whether it's corruption or too much power kind of consolidated at the top of the hierarchical structures. But what I will say is that they have provided a certain level of stability for us, for humanity, and it has had its values, but humanity is also evolving. And, you know, with the internet, with information being free, the, the, now it's time for these structures to flatten out. And, you know, there may be some resistance to that, um, but the, the new structure of life will be more like intersecting circles, like the flower of life. And all these circles of exchange that come together uh, will strengthen society and, and, and our, our money systems will be sound. 
Um, and like, like a human body, all the different cells in the body, the, the currency or the blood will flow with the oxygen to all cells in the body, but not from someone passing legislation or redistributing assets or income or these kinds of things, because that's more dependency, but rather from the true empowerment bottom up of recognizing that people are really sovereign beings and each and every one is talented and creative and now we'll have access to systems to make their dreams real. And is that what you envision when you mentioned a few times that there's a new world around money coming? Is that what you're alluding to? It's part of it. Um, you know, we, uh, like in the 1800s, they had wildcat banking. So you could take almost any city. Um, in Massachusetts, they had big leather farm, uh, leather factories where they made boots. The city of Lawrence issued its own money. Tampa issued its own money. And they did it off of the productivity of the people. Um, the problem was nobody knew if the certificate was counterfeit. Did they really have the production? Um, so we, I, I really do think we're going to sort of wildcat banking 10.0, you know, where we will see possibly, and this is hypothetical, but, you know, companies like Amazon beginning to issue their own money instead of bonds or stock. And um, local farmers will do this. Regional farmers, Apple can do this. And Ben and Jerry's could issue Ben and Jerry's dollars. They could be used in Africa as a currency if we could prove they had the real supply and demand for their product. Mm. Um, you know, so it's the, anytime there was a Great Depression in Europe and uh, Switzerland, they would come out with a community currency called the VIR, W I R. Mm -hmm. And it would buoy because during depressions, the money supply completely shrinks up. And even though the people want to work and can work, and a lot of the goods and services are there, they just don't connect because the tickets of exchange dry up. Well, this is ludicrous. So why don't we make our own valid certificates of exchange? And that's what a dollar is. So, um, you know, alternative currencies have been around forever. They, we've just never been able to make them truly transparent and prove their legitimacy. And now with blockchain going away from the speculation that, that, that cryptocurrency is, cryptocurrency is still running off of the exploitative model saying, I need to get mine, I need to get enough of mine, and then I can get off the hamster wheel. Well, we should never be on the hamster wheel to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so instead, um, if uh, the alternative currencies using the blockchain would simply provide the tickets of exchange between the buyers and the sellers and humanity will start to live on the ebb and flows of life rather than the booms and bust and they will they will join nature in the natural synchronicity of living still being just as profitable as they want contributive as they want but without the contortions and this is, it's, 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 it's just so profound. Sometimes it makes me want to pass out how exciting what stands before us. Mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, there is always another side and the other side um, can help us out of the birth canal or help us down the birth canal. Mm -hmm. And so the other side, maybe being these old structures that still want to maintain power. And even though they've provided you know, positivities in our life, they do a lot of damage, like a bull in a, in a, in a China shop, you know, there's not a lot of nuance to it. And so, 
you know, they, they have more of a limited vision. And I think you're going to hear a lot more about the CBDCs coming, uh, which is a central bank digital currency. Mm-hmm. And um, this is largely, all, it's it's absolutely linked to the blockchain, but instead of really being an empowering tool of technology, it will be a lot of surveillance. Um, it may very well be tied to uh, where you go online. Um, you'll have no privacy mm-hmm. and financial institutions may turn off your access to your money. Um, we've seen this recently with PayPal announcing a $2,500 payment. If they decide you are um, contributing to misinformation, whoever decides is misinformation. And the problem with this stuff is even if we agree with it within the current framework, it easily changes once the framework is in place. Um, MasterCard and Visa, it's been rumored for a long time that they've been working on um, different types of structures that, again, um, are linked to ESG, which is environmental social governments uh, scores. And so if they decide you've used too much carbon, they turn off your access to your money. Um, and so we may very possibly be getting a global currency that is on this system in the next year or two. And um, I don't really view that as a positive. Um, it may come for some sense of stability, But the problem is, as we've seen in the euro with the European zone, the smaller countries who could not compete with Germany were severely depressed by not being able to create enough of their own currency. And if the currency represents the productive capacity of the people, the people, that country should be able to create as much currency as they have productivity. You know, so when you get a a central, especially the further away the power is from your local community, the less power the community has. And so if a global uh, currency comes and whether it comes from the Bank of International Settlements or the World Bank or the World Economic Forum, uh, the United States may only get so many dollars. And that means that even if people have great ideas, they they can't (laughs) they can't access proper credit. So I do think this is a large possibility that we will see in the next year to two years maximum, we will see this type of central bank digital currency come. Maybe each country will have their own to begin with. Um, We will lose all of our financial privacy at that point and um, maybe possibly access to our own money. And then it may go to a global currency. I'm not so terribly worried about it because in every poison or every disease comes the medicine. Uh And so it will wake us up to the fact that, hey, understanding money is important. And even if I was bored about it before, it's really interested in me. So maybe I ought to be interested in it. And there are all these wonderful ways now to learn about it that are fun, that are not clunky. Mm -hmm. And also we will have the ability to create tributary alternative systems and as long as there are alternative systems, not only will freedom prevail and each person being able to decide how they want to live, but new beautiful ideas, maybe even all new technologies for the environment and all these wonderful things, if people want them, they will have the opportunity for funding. So I think we're on the precipice of that, which is very huge. <laughs> And exciting. <laughs> so it could be the most revolutionary time of our lives coming in the next couple of years. Yes, I um 
I can agree. I feel that down in my bones. Now, are you working with people individually through uh, Raymond James or? I am. So I've had my practice for 30 years. I still Mm -hmm. have my wealth management practice, which is financial planning based. And um, though sometimes I get into these kinds of conversations with clients that I've had relationships with for a long time, it's not really what I'm doing. Uh, You know, I mean, we're, we're, Mm -hmm. we're, real financial planning, real investment within the mainstream concepts of that. And it is fascinating because these are really two very separate worlds. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same point in time, they're happening at the same time. So um, I think we need to be educated in both worlds mm-hmm. and we need to be a little bit more flexible. We need to be able to do what we need to do in the old understanding, conventional standing of the world. And we have to have our antenna up as to how this world is changing. And then to be able to be, uh, you know, reinforce the positivity for one another enough so that we actually truly can catch how positive this is for us because it can be scary. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. And you know what? Kudos to your dad for teaching you about money. So it wasn't the story of, oh, you know, go to college, find a guy and let him do it for you. So kudos to your dad, you know, very forward thinking. I really appreciate that. Um, Kristen, I've enjoyed our time together. Uh, I could talk to you for another three hours. I know I've held you longer than our agreed upon time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for staying here with me. And if you ever want to come back and talk about money some more, please do, because I think this is something, especially as we get more into this change that, you know, people are going to know about. Um, want to know about. And, you know, when you get your next book out, it's coming, girl. Uh, give me a call. Okay. The audio book should be up in about a week or a week or th- maybe three weeks max. Uh, okay. So well, and you'll like it because it's a story. So if you like listening to stories, she's she's got a great story to tell and you're going to learn along the way. Oh, thank you so much, Monique. I could talk to you forever too. This was so much fun. <laughs> Yes, it's been a lot of fun. And to the audience, thank you for joining us as we collectively get over it. And please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering the end of scarcity and creating more love in the world. Light and love. Agape.